0: When we sing, over everything, our redemption, that means that there is nothing that cannot be saved. We have the belief that God can reach into any mess that we are a part of, we've made, or is not a part of us, but we find ourselves in. And God can set that right. So we have our eyes set on Christmas in the church at this point. This is the first Sunday of Advent. And so for the next four Sundays, we will be considering Old Testament prophets and what they had to say about the state of God's people and our hope. So our scripture for today is from the Old Testament prophet of Jeremiah. We're in the 33rd chapter, and we will begin with verse 14. We just have three verses. It's just 14 through 16. This is what the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah said. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So my children range in age from age 8 to 17, and they're pretty spread apart in years. So each, when they were young children, had their own set of toys. My sister, over the Thanksgiving holidays, was kind of remembering their favorite toys when they were little. And she remembered that my oldest child loved Winnie the Pooh. But when she was little, what she didn't like was a toy that we gave her one Christmas called Tigger Bounces. That was really scary. My middle child loved Blue's Clues and Dora the Explorer. And she had a shopping cart when she was about three or four years old that when you pushed the shopping cart down the hallway, it would sing, let's go shopping. And that was her favorite toy. And my baby... Who is now eight years old. When he was about three and four years old, he loved cowboys, horse racing, and bull riding. And so he had a big blue notebook binder where he kept pictures that we printed out of bull riders, of cowboys, of race horses. Despite all their differences and the years that separated them, there was one toy. That made it into each of the three toy collections. We still have it. It was given to me at a baby shower for the oldest child, and now it sits in the closet, at the top of the closet of my eight year old. You know, I suspect that Keith and I must have had some version of this toy, and that my mother and father also probably played uh, with this toy. This toy is wood blocks. Anybody in here ever have wood blocks or have wood blocks right now at their house? Yeah. What I remember about playing with wood blocks is how carefully you have to work to construct, to put things together with wood blocks. It takes time to build with wood blocks. It takes hand-eye coordination because they're not like Legos. They don't just snap together. You have to balance them to build. Now, here's what I know about building with wood blocks. If one child in the house is building with blocks and there is another child in the house, even if that child is 35 years old, those blocks are coming down. The blocks are coming down. When Jeremiah is prophesying, the blocks of Jerusalem are down. Under the leadership of the ruthless king, Nebuchadnezzar of Babylonia, God's people have been defeated. Judah is defeated. Jerusalem has been destroyed. And Jerusalem, you will remember, is the place of the temple. It's the place where God resides. This, Jeremiah says, is a consequence of unfaithfulness. God's people, especially the leaders, the kings of Israel and Judah, have continually violated their covenant with God. and So the people have been taken captive. They are torn from their homes. They are deprived of their temple. They have been beaten. Some are imprisoned and facing death. So in the biblical story where we are in Jeremiah, this is a time of great despair. God's people have been defeated. They've been robbed of their hope. They are left without a promise of the future. They either sit in the rubble of destruction or they've been hauled off as slaves. So I wondered this week as I looked at this passage in Jeremiah, what do I do when my hope has been taken away from me? What do I do when I sit in the midst of despair? I know that there are a few kind of common ways to interact with despair. One way that you um, can move forward when hope has been taken from you is to take prisoners of the people who are left around you. I see this happen sometimes when a member of a family is either hospitalized or a family member um, or a family has lost a member to death. Another family member will move forward uh, into the leadership role and will begin to bark orders. They'll take charge in such a way that everyone else has to fall in line. And um, often those who are trying to help the family members are taken captive by these wounded dictators. It could be the nurses in the hospital or the church secretary if we're planning a memorial service. The ushers around here, the friends, they're all informed of the only acceptable way. There's only one acceptable way, which is my way, to move forward in this time where there's no hope. Another response to the loss of hope might be to let a circumstance dictate my identity. I sometimes do this. I become defeated or depressed. In the midst of a loss, I become a loser. Dallas Willard taught that our feelings make terrible masters, but they make excellent servants. And I really like that teaching. I try to follow that. Our feelings make terrible masters, but excellent servants, because they can tell us what to do. They can inform us. We don't let feeling depressed or defeated or angry tell us how to be or whom to be, but instead it tells us about the relationship or the system, the family that we're in, and it informs us how to best move forward in a wise direction. Yet another possible response to devastation is denial. You might know this one. I like it, too. <laughs> when, when we are in denial, then it's no big deal when devastation comes. Nothing happened. Everything's okay. It's great. You just move forward with a smile on your mask. Denial is just running away emotionally. And I suppose we can physically run away, too, So that then when we are physically running away, we just abandon the scene of the crime. We move to a new city or a new job. But I think my favorite response to the loss of hope is to blame. I love to blame. I like to find the person who's responsible for this mess. Someone's to blame. Is it the doctor, the senior pastor, the teacher? Somebody brought us this misfortune. Let's find out who that person is. Now, my work in faith-walking has taught me that there are different responses to anxiety. And so I want to walk through what faith-walking says about how we find ourselves in the midst of anxiety and how we react to that anxiety. So one way that we can react to anxiety is uh, with conflict. So I like to use this one at home. Conflict comes about when there's disagreement, and instead of try, seeking to understand one another, you move immediately into right and wrong thinking, and it's I'm right and you're wrong. So uh, there's anxiety in the home. There's anxiety in their relationship, and instead of trying to understand what's going on with the other person, I'm going to tell them why they're wrong and why I'm right. Another thing that we sometimes do is we over- or under-function when anxiety is present. So when you overfunction, you take on too much responsibility for the situation of despair. When you overfunction when there's been a death in your family, then you're taking on all the responsibility. You're planning the meals. You're lining up the meals. You're planning the service. You are dealing with the funeral home. You're doing everything. You underfunction when you're just stunned. I do that too. Underfunction when you do too little, take on too little responsibility in a system. Another way that we can interact with the anxiety is that we distance ourselves. So when we distance ourselves, um, you can do this emotionally or physically. So if you do it emotionally, you just kind of withdraw from a friendship. Uh, But if you do it physically, if you, if you physically distance yourself and the extreme way of doing this would be just to cut off, then you would say, I'm out of here. I'm out of that church. I'm out of that school. I'm leaving. And then the last way that we sometimes interact with anxiety when anxiety increases when it's present is that we project or we blame. We find someone to place the responsibility for the despair on them. So um, I, I wanted to try a few of these ways of interacting with despair on Jeremiah and see what you think. So what if Jeremiah had looked at the situation in Judah, and Jerusalem, and then had said this. This was written down. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I'm out of here. You fend for yourselves. A broken covenant means no more covenant. I quit. No, that's not quite right. How about this? The word came to Jeremiah. Fight with all your might against that evil Nebuchadnezzar. He is to blame for this disaster. Do everything you can do to hold him responsible for this. No, that's not what Jeremiah said. Or what about this? This is what the God of Israel says. Just surrender yourselves. Live as slaves. The slaves that I've called you to be. No. Yeah, that's not right either. None of those are quite right. The true God of Israel seems to hold in tension this time of devastation and despair and exile with a time of promise and hope. In chapter 29 of Jeremiah, we find these words of instruction to God's people Build houses in Babylonia. Build houses, settle down, plant gardens, eat what they produce. Marry, have sons and daughters, increase in number there, do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you will prosper too. When 70 years are completed in Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for good and not for harm. Plans to give you hope and a future. The Lord has good plans for his people and works toward those plans. The passage of scripture that we read this morning, that we're considering this morning, just three verses, mentions a kind of churchy word, the word righteous, three different times. Righteous is a word that I think is out of vogue now, but what do I really know about what's cool? But in the 80s and 90s, I can remember that we did use the word righteous. If anybody has seen the movie Ferris Bueller's Day Off, yeah, everybody did what Ferris told, him, told them to do because he was a righteous dude, right? That was a phrase that we used back in the day. I'm not sure that I knew what it meant other than it was good to be a righteous dude. Here's what righteous means. Righteous is an adjective, and it means good. It means upright. A righteous act sets something right the way that it is intended to be according to its design. A righteous person works for good, setting things right, correcting, repairing, mending, making good. If you would imagine again... With me, the wood blocks in my toy room, when what was built was knocked down, some of the times those blocks were thrown or kicked under the couch in disgust, some of the times we picked up all the blocks, put them back in the box, put it away so that we would move on to a new or better toy. Neither of those responses is a righteous response. A righteous act would rebuild with the blocks. A righteous act restores and sets things right. So I imagine a righteous hand setting the blocks back up on their ends, matching them together exactly where they could match up and fitting together in a good perfect design when we believe that God possesses this quality righteousness we know that God is a good architect with good plans setting things right in our lives and in the world around us we know that even when we turn our backs on God God does not let us go God does not turn God's back on us The Lord is committed to setting things right. So this then becomes the source and the fuel of our hope in times of despair. We worship a God who just deals in hope. James Bryan Smith, in the book, The Good and Beautiful Life, writes about a friend of his whom he calls Jane, who is a women's college basketball coach. She has, he says, over 400 NCAA Division I wins. And before each game, Jane writes the initials with a sharpie on her hand, KC. Stands for Kingdom Coach. Reminds her who she is in the game that's ahead of her. Three years into a coaching job at one particular school, She had a team with a rough season, and the press called for her to be fired, and she was, in fact, fired. In the midst of her devastation, Smith recounts that he called her on the phone, and he said, I didn't say much to her, but I did say one sentence that I knew to be true, and that was this. Remember, the kingdom is not in trouble, and you are not in trouble. It didn't take long for Jane to find another coaching job, and halfway through the season, she emailed Jim about a win that her team had had. She wrote these words in her email. This win was different. I felt deep in the kingdom of God, and I felt it better than any win, and this win felt better than any win ever did before. I did not need any affirmation. I didn't need to prove my worth because the truth of who I am and where I am is a value for me now. And she signed the email, keeping the faith, Jane, in whom Christ dwells. Jane knew herself to be a beloved child in the kingdom of God where the reign of the king is good and the reign of the king is secure. The divine promise through the prophet Jeremiah Mentions the word righteous three different times as we read the three verses this morning. Let's look at that word righteous where it occurs in this passage. I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David. So a righteous branch springing up for David is referring to King David Um, Those who come after King David and his family. This is a new and right, good leader who will come from David's house. The next place that we see the word righteous, he will execute justice and righteousness in the land. So if this leader executes righteousness in the land, he will do what is good. He will set the blocks right. And then the last place that we find this word, at the very end, a new nickname is given. It will be called, The Lord is Our Righteousness. Now there's some discrepancy into how to interpret this particular nickname. Who does it belong to, this nickname? Who is it? It's possible that the nickname is, The City of Jerusalem. And so if the nickname is the city of Jerusalem, then the city will be restored, the blocks will be set right, and Jerusalem, again, will be the place where God dwells. But it's also possible that the nickname the Lord is our righteousness belongs to the righteous branch, the Messiah that comes out of the house of David. And if that's the case, then in the Savior, we find the quality of being set right. The Lord will use the Messiah to put us right. So what if it's both? What if it's both? What if in the Messiah, we are, as God's faithful people, set aright And we then become the place where God dwells. We become the new city of Jerusalem, the new temple. It's a stretch. Several chapters in the Bible, several hundred years later, but these are the words that Paul wrote to the people in Corinth. You yourselves are God's temple and God's spirit dwells in you. God's temple is sacred, and you together are the temple. We are the place where God dwells. You and I have the ability and the power to set things right. We are empowered by the master builder to build with blocks. We know the truth that the Messiah reveals, and we are God's dwelling place. If it's both of those things, then as you wait for and hope in the Messiah this season, the Messiah waits for and hopes in you. Would you pray with me? Eternal God, we bless you and we thank you this day for your goodness. That you are a God who works to set things right. Even in times of despair and disaster, your Holy Spirit is at work resetting and saving and building. So, Lord, we ask this day that you might renew our ability to see where you are at work in the world. And that you would grant us the strength. And the tools that we need to join in serving you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.
1: Just yeah. Faces shine on you. Be gracious to you. May the Lord lift His countenance on you and give you His peace, give you His shalom. It's in Your name that we go, Father. Amen. We're dismissed. Just to know You, just.